0: Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast of Noonan First United Methodist Church. We have a couple of quick announcements before we get into this week's sermon. Per the guidelines of the bishop, we are continuing to hold services online only, but we're currently looking forward to June 28th, which, as of now, will be our first Sunday back for in-person worship. Of course, this will look very different in this new era of social distancing, so stay tuned for more info on what you and your family can do to help us minimize risk and meet the guidelines set out by the North Georgia Cabinet. As a reminder, you can stay in touch and get all the news you need at our website, noonanfumc.org, and make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Finally, sign up to receive emails by going to our website and clicking Email List under Media. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll hopefully see you very soon. Our scripture lesson today comes from Micah 6.8 and James one twenty seven. Micah 6.8 reads, he has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. In James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphaned and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Today we've had that that opportunity to recognize our seniors from the class of 2020, and guys, we are um, so proud of you, and we know that this has been um, a very unique and difficult season for you guys. A lot of the traditions that you're used to participating in and being part of, um, you haven't been able to do that, and uh, so we know that this has been a difficult time for you, but Even though we have this disappointment for you that those experiences um, haven't happened, I'm also excited to see what kind of strengths and characters come out for you guys in this season. And I truly believe and hope that this experience, even though as hard as it may have been, will make you even better people than you would have already been to start with. And thank you, parents, so much for guiding and directing your students during this time. I know it's been difficult for you guys as well. And uh, all you students, make sure you thank your folks for the the continued guidance and the direction that they've given you in your life. They are amazing people um, who've committed much, much time to who you are, and they continue to care and love for you as time goes forward as well. Don't forget them. But traditionally, we would be presenting you with Bibles today, and uh, we're still going to do that. But we're going to be delivering to them, delivering them to your home this week uh, using, of course, appropriate social distancing. And um, so we'll be in contact with you about how to go about getting in touch with you and making sure that you get your senior Bible. It's a really important thing um, for us to give to you. Um, It's an appropriate Bible for an adult to study. And um, it's all throughout the traditions of the church. We give you Bibles from the time that you're in preschool and first grade and third grade and and up into your confirmation time. And now we're going to give you a Bible that can last you through your entire adult life. And we hope that you will use it and put it to work and uh, follow the words that it says. Guys, we love you so much. And we are just praying God's guidance and his protection and his purpose for you in these coming days. And as we were thinking about what this worship would look like today, David suggested the anthem that we just heard from the youth choir called a seat at the table and as i was thinking about the senior class and thinking about these transitions that we have in life i found myself thinking back to um, a really special chair and really special table Um, and that's my grandmother's dining room table and it was a a beautiful 1940s duncan fife mahogany table i actually own it now um, since she's passed i took on to that and and um it's uh, a little beat up now because it's moved more times in the last 15 years than it ever did in the 80 years that it's been alive or whatever, how much time that is. And, um, but this, this table is really special to me and the chairs around it are really special to me. Uh, But one of them especially um, represents um, something for me. And it's, it's the only one at the table that had arms on it. And um, I know that sounds weird, but it's just, it's one of the things that I've always loved about it. But um, the thing that I really love the most is that this this chair was at the head of the table. And the people who've sat in it are are really important in my legacy. My great-grandfather sat in it until he passed. My grandfather... He um, he took that place afterwards, even though it was his table. He 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 gave it over to his father-in-law. was probably a smart move, and um, but that table and that chair also held my dad um, after my grandfather passed, and my brother, and eventually it became my seat in the place that I sat at, and the place that um, I had the opportunity to to experience my family and the meals that took place around our holidays. And, um, it was just a very special place. There came a time in all of our lives when we crossed this bridge somewhere where there, um, you know, in the family history, there was some sort of kids table somewhere. Maybe it was set off in the living room or in the kitchen or something like that. And it was probably like a card table that just hours before had been the blanket fort that you've been using before you went to the table. And, um, you know, in that place there, your mom would make a plate for you and sit it down on the table and she would give you all kinds of weird food, like that weird green jello stuff that I don't I don't know what that's all about. But, you know, she would pick all your food and she'd drop that down and say, eat it. And, you know, it, it just has this the sense that, you know, that that table and that seat was inferior to that. But there's a moment when all of a sudden you got this seat at the adult table and, um, you know, these moments happen all the time through our lives. When we're, we, we move from these stages, to one place to the next, we move from being an infant to a toddler, from a toddler to a preschooler, preschooler to elementary school and middle school, middle school all the way up into to high school and then graduation, which obviously we celebrate today. But... Graduation at so many places is called commencement because it's this moment when this new life season starts for you, this season of true adulthood. It's like moving up to the adult table. And it doesn't stop there, though, because you go ahead and you get your degrees and your promotions and your ranks. And each time you do, you move up into a different seat with different responsibilities and typically greater and greater authority and accountability. So having a seat at the table in life, it comes with responsibilities. First, we have to learn how to provide for ourselves and for the families that eventually we we become responsible for, and we also have to learn how to cultivate and curate our hopes and our dreams into what people generally call life. And seniors, you guys, you guys are graduating into this next stage. But what I have to share with with all of us today is is bigger than just a message for young people. Because these seniors are joining the table where the rest of us probably already sit. And even so, more so than that, most of us who are listening today sit as representatives of God's kingdom in this world. So not only do we work to cultivate our own hopes and dreams, but we, we call upon our lives to cultivate the hopes and dreams as we serve Jesus Christ for his kingdom. And that's the world that we live in. Many times as we accept and practice our faith, we find ourselves in the routines of religion. And we have to show up at specific times, on specific days, at specific places, typically called churches, to participate in programs and classes and worship services. Now, this particular place right now, is most of the time in our living room for the, for the time being, or maybe a den, or maybe you're even sitting in bed watching church. That's awesome. But as much as we need to assemble and to be together, and that's a call from God's Word, our seat at God's table calls us to something greater than that. It calls us to something outside the walls of a church building. And if we're not careful, we'll end up you know fixing our own plates at the adult table, but filling them with things to to make us happy or make us feel good and, and to allow us to just sit and relax. And we'll end up becoming heavy and lethargic. And our, our purpose and our dreams as the people of God will begin to dissipate. So the longer we indulge ourselves, the harder it is for us to move into the hopes and dreams that God has for this world outside of our walls. So this morning, as we reflect on the scripture passages we've heard, we have an opportunity to see what kind of responsibilities and objectives that come along with this seat at the table. Now, the first scripture that we heard from was from the book of Micah. And Micah is a contemporary to Isaiah and the prophet Hosea as well. And he lives in a time when the Assyrian army was coming into the Hebrew nations and just obliterating things. The Northern Kingdom especially had a hard time with it. Samaria fell, um, and then Judah was was struggling as well, and and had to basically pay homage to the Assyrians, even though they didn't destroy them as much and as they did the Northern Kingdom. But but Micah is a prophet for that Southern Judah Kingdom, and he's from a small town. He's not from Jerusalem like Isaiah was. He's from a small town out in the country. So he's just hes just a basic country boy trying to help the people of God understand what God is looking for. And the people, the Hebrew people, they're far from God at this point in time. And especially in their leadership, they've fallen into corruption and they've gone through the motions, but they focus their lives on themselves and they've become heavy and lethargic people. And prior to the passage we heard in Micah 6, 8, um, the prophet sets up this courtroom scene, basically. And humanity, it's like humanity is sitting on the stand and they're questioning God and saying, you know, what, what do you want from us? And they do it in this kind of sarcastic way and they cry out as if it's not fair that God asks anything of them. They say, do you want us to bring burnt offerings to you, calflings or thousands of rams? Do you want us to pour out 10,000 rivers of oil? And they even ask if they should bring their firstborn child as a sacrifice for their sin, which is a really interesting and, and kind of nasty thing to say because child sacrifice was not something that the Hebrew people practiced. And it was practiced by pagans, but also it's kind of like a, a punch in the gut to, to the example that their father Abraham, who was willing in the faith that he had in order to take his son and to present him to God as a sacrifice, if that's God what, what God had really wanted. But none of these things that humanity asks God about are what God is looking for. And none of them have actually anything to do with their lives, but they just want to rectify their status with God. How can they buy back God's favor? They're hollow and they're empty. It's also a bit scary because when you think about it, for us today, into this, we could fall into those same traps I go to church on Sunday. I pay my tithe. I go to Sunday school. I've paid my dues. I want your favor. And what do you want from me, God? Just like they're saying. But the rest of the week, I want to live like I want to want. I want to live. I pay my dues. Give me your favor. But God responded to them through the prophet with this text that we heard from Micah this morning. He reminds them that it isn't about the amount of things that they bring or the. Even how good the quality of the sacrifice was, it's the character of their lives and of their hearts that he's looking for. And the prophet's reply is simple. He says, "He has shown you what is good. What does the Lord require? He requires that you act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God." So as as we think about what it means to be the people of God. We can see that. And in, in many times we think the responsibilities tied to our seat at the table have to do with the, the quantity or quality of time we worship in the church. But we definitely need to understand and learn to grow and to be encouraged in our faith in the church. But the, the purpose of that is to be able to step outside these walls. God's not keeping track of your attendance here. Or how much money we give. God is keeping track of your hearts. So first, he asks us to act justly. To act, not just to to believe in just things, but to behave in a way that is morally right and fair. To behave with good judgment. To be able to determine between what is right and wrong, fair and unfair. And it's more than the, the recognition of just these things, but we must act in that way no longer spectators like the you know the kids sitting at that kids table again who's just looking through the doorway at the at the adult table and just a spectator to all the things that happen there we're not we're not in that state anymore now we're sitting at the adult table and we have to act appropriately we have to speak out we have to fight against these injustices in our world today things like inequality racism violence discrimination poverty Sickness, disease, these things come against the kingdom of God. And so we, as the people of God, must act justly. We must do that in our families, teaching our children, teaching our households to, to live in a way that fights against these things. In our communities, we speak out and we stand for what is just. And in our business dealings with other people, we act in honor and we act in ways that, that help people grow and help people experience the goodness and the righteousness of God. You know, in our world today, the people of God have lost much of their influence. And I think sometimes it's because we've stepped back from standing in these gaps. And subsequently, we've relinquished our seat at the table. Secondly, God asks us to love mercy. And not just to be merciful, but to love it, to embrace it, to cherish mercy. And this is the kindness that we share with others. It's the good deeds of compassion and empathy and forgiveness in our everyday lives, but especially to those whom we have authority and power over. And when we have the ability to harm someone, but instead we treat them with compassion, then we We press light into darkness, and God's kingdom can advance. So when we disagree with others, we seek to understand instead of destroy. When we feel wronged, we seek forgiveness rather than retaliation. When we lead in our homes or communities or businesses like before, we seek to edify and build up those around us instead of tearing them down to try to get ahead all of the time. And we choose to love first, Instead of strike first. It's not easy. But, but loving mercy. Allows us to reflect the character of God. Because when he had the ability. To strike at us. Because of our sin. He loved first. And he came for us. Finally God asks us to walk humbly. With your God. To walk Not just be humble in the moment, but to practice this humility as our journey. So, to walk humbly is to practice submissiveness. We lower our priority, we lower our position, and it's counterintuitive to the call that the world has for us all the time, which is always to try to go out and get yours. But if we practice submissiveness, if we practice this lowering of our own priority from that top position in our lives, we, we basically take that head seat at the table and we move over and let God take that position. We reserve that place for Him. C.S. Lewis said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And I want to say that again because I don't want you to miss it. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. See, we don't walk humbly to be destroyed by God. We walk humbly to be deployed by God. Because humility doesn't destroy our our gifts, our talents, our importance at all. It releases us to be employed by God with those gifts, talents, and importance and leverage them for His kingdom. He calls us to walk humbly. And He does that, and he, He says, with your God, because we don't walk alone. In Genesis and Exodus, and it's reiterated in the prophets, God reminds us that He will be our God and we will be His people. And this reciprocating relationship where we almost own one another empowers us to be His people in this world. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. These are the requirements the Lord. Now, we also heard a piece of Scripture from the book of James. And in our second Scripture reading, we hear these words, and James is the half-brother of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but consider that growing up as Jesus' little brother. I mean, you couldn't ever get away with blaming him for anything. I mean, he's, he's perfect, right? You know, uh, he's always got everything together. So, you know, in chapter 1, before we read what we, we saw today, though, James He speaks out about listening and doing. And in verse 22, he even says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So often we forget that the word that our ancestors in the faith in the New Testament times had, that word was the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. So things like what Micah had written to the people of God, those things echo in our heart as we think about what that scripture passage said to to James from 800 years earlier when Micah wrote it, to look after orphans and widows in distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. These are the things that the father accepts as pure and faultless faith and religion. And they kind of echo those same things that Micah said to act justly and to love mercy we would have to take care of those who are in affliction. An orphan or a widow both have experienced loss in ways that overwhelm them. They're alone and they're defenseless. Not only do we need to take care of them for, because of the literal, literal orphans or widows in our world, but those who have been systemically abandoned and experienced death and hardship in their lives. It's why I'm so excited that yesterday we had the opportunity to host the the drive-up food drive here at the church. And our country and our community have seen some, some unthinkable things in the last few weeks and months. And the needs have been abounding and growing. And unfortunately, the systems that we had in place are failing. And we just didn't expect something like this. And we can try to set it up, but things are getting harder and harder for people. But in that darkness... That people are experiencing. The people of God didn't come to the church to consume or worship for themselves, or to act, you know, to go into activities and, and and things that would help us. We came to produce light and hope and encouragement for others. And we also had this opportunity to walk humbly with God, because bridging the gap and the other local resources that that are going to work with, research, with this, these items that we brought, they're probably going to get the credit for that, not the people who came and dropped it off, not our church. But I know those organizations well enough that they're going to actually point again to Jesus in the midst of all of that. So instead of getting even the credit for ourselves, we're giving that away as well. Instead of the world polluting us, like James warned us about, we get to push back against the darkness and shine a light and hope and the love of God. So Micah, he, he put, us, put it all into simple terms for us. And James gives us this practical application. But what about you and what about me? Seniors, as you take your place at the table and all of us as we live out our lives, I want to encourage us to remember whose table we sit at. The person who is the head of our table also took up a basin and a towel to wash the feet of those who had served him here on earth. He humbled himself from his godly position to become a servant for us in his his life and in his example and in his death. So as you study for your careers and as you lead your families and your businesses, as you work in your communities, Think about how you can leverage the things that you are becoming to promote God's kingdom around you, to act justly on behalf of the afflicted, to love mercy through compassion, empathy, and forgiveness, and to walk humbly with your God, being employed first by God and in submission to Him. In this way, the kingdom of God, it advances and the light shines in the darkness. So take a second to imagine what that might look like. It might look like the poor receiving what they need from the church, from the people of God, instead of from governments. Those who are bound in slavery to addiction might be set free because people actually cared for them. The lonely and the abandoned might find a family and a home with the people of God. Racism, like we've seen in our recent days, squashed and obliterated by the love of god art music and innovation employed to advance the hope and glory engineering and science even leveraged to support communities in need because god has has changed the desires of people's hearts to to employ their gifts and talents to see god's kingdom advance folks these things are not pipe dreams they're possible especially if we live into these requirements that God calls us to, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God and take our place at His table. Amen.